The episode you are listening is part of the Human Rights in 21st Century Project. Uh, we are having some very interesting interviewees, uh, and some they are some of the most important champions uh, when it comes to the protection and promotion of human rights and those who are visible, who are vocal, and they're trying to address some of the most pertinent current issues uh, concerning the breaches and advancement of human rights in the EU and globally. My name is Natasha Briski. I'm a journalist from Slovenia, a co-founder of an independent media network, Metas List. And joining me from Luxembourg is uh, my colleague, Aliash Pengo-Bittens. He's an excellent columnist and a commentator, a blogger. If you are interested in the political situation in Slovenia, but not only, uh, Aliash writes, uh, Sleeping with Pangoski. Pangoski.com is a destination where you can find some, some very interesting blogs with a special, especially humorous touch. Aliash? Natasha, kind as always, and um, way too many compliments in my direction. So um, for all of you who don't, for those of you who don't know, Natasha is an accomplished journalist, uh, Foreign, former foreign correspondent for uh, the largest uh, privately owned Slovenian TV network. She's an accomplished explorer and uh, a great believer in equal rights for all. And uh, Natasha, I believe this will be the topic of uh, our today's conversation. Um, we are uh, happy to welcome in our midst uh, Dr. Hakima El Haite. Dr. El Haite, a very warm welcome to our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It's indeed very important to discuss about climate justice and uh, human rights versus climate. So thank you for this, uh, this emission and uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, Dr. El Haite, you are the president of the Liberal International since December 2018, actually the first non-European in this post. Uh, and um, as a climate scientist from Morocco, entrepreneur and a politician, I would be interested to hear your thoughts. I know it's been weeks now since uh, the climate change conference ended in uh, Glasgow, but uh, what are your thoughts about the results, about the commitment, commitments taken, and uh, maybe the shortcomings as you see them? Uh, let me tell you that I'm uh, generally very optimistic, and I was uh, uh, from those who were always calling for a very positive narrative, and very uh, mobilizing narrative. And uh, I'm involved with the COP process since now, uh, uh, I will say officially since 2013, and as entrepreneur uh, dealing with, uh, with climate change and sustainable development since 2000. So it's many years involved with the, with the, the conference of the parties. Uh, and uh, as I told you, I'm generally optimistic, but now I felt very bad and very disappointed after COP26. You know, I, uh, when, uh, we, uh, ratif when, when we adopted the climate, the Paris Agreement, I had the feeling that the humanity has achieved uh, a historical uh, agreement which will uh, uh, save the most vulnerable and save the people who are suffering. Because, you know, in Europe and generally uh, in the North, 
they used to talk about climate change in future, but the reality is uh, we, people of the South, we are uh, paying the bill on a, a daily basis, you know. Uh, when you look at Africa, for example, uh, there are uh, uh, 300 million, 50 people who have no access uh, to drinking water. You have uh, millions, 500 millions of hectares of agricultural lands who, who are already degraded uh, because of drought and because of climate change. And uh, we are witnessing on a daily basis people migrating to Europe and dying in the Mediterranean Sea. So uh, I used to be hopeful, uh, I will say optimistic, because we did it, we signed this agreement and you understand that it, that was challenging because it's not an, an agreement between two or three persons. We are speaking about a conference where 195 countries and parties should agree uh, on, a, on, a, on an accord uh, which is not necessarily uh, defending their interests. So each country has its own interest and uh, political interest, geostrategical uh, interest, economic interest. So uh, we are, we, we succeeded in, uh, in uh, uh, adopting the Paris Agreement. The problem is now that the agreement is done, I have the feeling that we are negotiating uh, again and that the, 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 the history is coming back. Uh, and it's pity. We have a very important appointment, which was 2020. And it was postponed uh, one year because of COVID. And this is something we can understand. But this appointment was very important. That was the time when we have to implement the Paris Agreement. We should switch from promises to action and to implementation. We have no time anymore. I, I, I don't want to, uh, to, uh, to talk about what the, the IPCC report said, but if you look at the IPCC report, we are already late. And uh, what is happening now is just, I will say very, I will say very disappointing. Uh, I was uh, very uh, sorry and disappointed to hear the outcome uh, output of COP26, even if I will say that um, they made a, a very important step uh, in speaking about openly about uh, uh, the phase down coal. I, I would have loved that it's phased out coal, but they, they, they were speaking about phasing out uh, coal. That's a, a huge step because never under the process, the process of COP, we were talking about coal and fossil fuel subsidies. And this happened this year. This is historical in my opinion, but it was not enough. We saw that uh, the CO2 emissions are in a constant increase since Paris Agreement, and this is not serious. We saw that the, the promises to support the vulnerable countries and the developing world were not fulfilled. The 100 billion were, were not on the table. 
So we are a little bit disappointed from, I know that it's uh, for having been myself organizing a COP, I know that it's not easy to organize a COP. And I would like to pay tribute to our friends from UK. But uh, uh, we would, we were waiting for more results and we were waiting for more actions. And this is not what happened in COP26, even, even if I think that this uh, Glasgow uh, pact was a good thing but not enough, not enough uh, to, uh, to support all those who are suffering already from climate change. Well, it, uh, if I remember correctly, the disappointment was obvious among many delegates, including the presidency of the conference. So you definitely you are on to something there. Uh, more to the point, it would indeed seem that a global crisis only becomes a global crisis when it di starts directly affecting the developed world. Before I that, agree with you. Before yeah, that, it's, ju it's just <laughs> a, problem, a problem somewhere down the line. But uh, it, uh, I would maybe propose a, 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 a hypothesis that the part of the problem or part of the reason that this is so is that the, the global north, the, the, the Western countries, fail to understand uh, the connectedness between human rights and climate change, that one cannot exist uh, uh, without the other. Would you agree with that? I completely agree with you. And I uh, really uh, uh, support what you are saying and join you when you say that a crisis is only recognized as a global crisis when uh, it's uh, undermined the developed world. And it's pity. And this is something which is happening now, just right now with COVID-19. It's the same, you know. Uh, the, we are living the same crisis. It's a global crisis where we are bringing solutions to the north, but not to the south. But we will not end with this crisis until we give the solution to the South. And this is exactly what is happening with climate change. When uh, you are not living on a daily basis the consequences of climate change, you are thinking that this is something which is not undermining your existence. But uh, unfortunately, COVID, like climate, has no borders, no nationalities, no, uh, it's not scored by GDP. It's only uh, traveling everywhere. And uh, yes, and I don't think that the developed world are not linking climate change with human rights. I think that they don't want to link human rights with climate change. Because when you're speaking about climate change, you are speaking about a shortage of water. Don't give drinking water and water access to water to people. It's a right. So you are treating indirectly uh, a right uh, beyond human rights. Don't give uh, uh, the 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 uh, uh, when uh, uh, you threaten the the uh, the food production, which is the agricultural lands 
And you know, everybody in the north know that there are 500 million hectares agricultural land which are uh, uh, threatened by climate change in the in Africa. But mm-hmm. nobody cares because it doesn't affect them directly. But it's affecting them indirectly. It's affecting the people in Africa and in the South in general, uh, threatening the food security, and this is a right. Uh, and it's affecting them di- indirectly because people are, are migrating and migrating when they have no no uh, no food and no no uh, no conditions to live. So I think that the links, and we are working in Liberal International. We are now together with the Council of Europe, we are now uh, undertaking a study to demonstrate those links, which are, in my opinion, obvious, maybe because I am an environmentalist, but those links are there and people are already suffering and we are threatening their human rights on a daily basis. When you spend your time looking for water instead of going to school, we are treating in your right to have education. So I think those, uh, th- those links are clear, but we uh, are closing our eyes to avoid to see them. Now we need to establish a direct link, a very clear link to allow the northern countries to see that the consequences of climate change will not stop in the borders of the developing world. They will flow, the flow will reach Europe, the flow will reach the the developed world. And uh, it's the same with migration. We were discussing migration for a long time and say, no, this is economic migration. Yes, it's economic migration, but it's economic migration which is induced by climate change effects because those people have lost their land because there is no water, because there is no possibility to produce anymore. They are leaving their countries and going, uh, in the, going towards the north. So yes, it's economic migration, but with uh, with uh, uh, rooted in uh, in uh, in uh, climate change uh, climate change uh, uh, origin or uh, causes, I will say. Uh, so uh, I hope that uh, this study, when it will end, and it will end this year, uh, will allow us to change the, the or to amend the human rights uh, declaration and to add climate justice and uh, climate environment and climate change as a pillar as a right uh, in the human rights and that time maybe uh, the northern country will see uh, that uh, effectively climate change is well linked to human rights as you are saying climate change is affecting uh, all of us now the leaders who are looking for solutions they are all today or most of them in their 50s 60s 70s or maybe even older when we see who is upfront in this revolution that we need to take action uh, it's at least that would be my observation really young people uh, greta is I, I believe only 18 years old uh, she is at the head of of this uh, revolution 
and and the name that is most often recognized with this. Uh, I know you are working with younger people as well. So could you share some thoughts about how is it to build a new generation of leaders who would and who do understand the climate change issue, at least better than the older generations? Yeah, let me tell you what is Paris Agreement about. Uh, There is a word, there is a a meaning of implementing the Paris Agreement. The Paris Agreement is about a global transformation. It means that we have to review and to change everything we know and now, the way of of production, of industrialization, of... uh, uh, transportation of building, everything has to be changed. And uh, so it's a real uh, change of paradigm and a real change of our culture and civilization. So the jobs which we know now will not exist in uh, uh, in uh, one decade or uh, less than one decade. And we are already seeing uh, the COVID has accelerated change. We are already saying that many jobs are created and many jobs are lost. Now, who is in the the center of all the decisions which will be taken in uh, in one decade? It's not the people who are leading now the world. That will be the youth. And the youth are, uh, I think, that they have understood the the real... uh, effect and the, 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 the big consequences of non-actions. Today, the youth have, had understood that government had to take position and had to take decisions. The problem is when we are speaking about climate, we are speaking about economy. Uh, you can ask yourself why the Paris Agreement took us 20 years or 21 years uh, the 15 years to have uh, an agreement. It was not easy, uh, 21 years to have an agreement, negotiating for an agreement. This is not an environmental agreement. Otherwise, we would have uh, adopted this agreement 20 years ago. But where we are speaking about climate, we are speaking about economic uh, uh, economic um, actions and we are speaking about power because the economy is defining the power of this world. The economy is defining who is governing the world and the, 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 the fact is that uh, the problem is that many countries have many interests and uh, uh, the fuel producer we want, uh, don't want to stop fuel. The coal producer don't want to stop coal. But the youth are not seeing the economic side of it. The youth are saying that we are destroying nature. We are destroying the climate. We are threatening their, their, their future. And they want to action now. But believe me, I am, uh, uh, as I told you, I'm generally very optimistic, but I was completely, completely disappointed by uh, what, uh, uh, what happened in Glasgow. You know, when we began the negotiation on uh, the, the agreement, uh, many years b- before, 
the society was not involved. Business was not, was not involved. Uh, all the non-state actors, you know, you see now, were not there. This uh, dynamic was created after the Paris Agreement, and it's a huge dynamic. People now subscribe to the fact that there is climate change and we need to act. But there is all the, the, all the interest around the climate change and climate change business and, uh, and the uh, fuel industry and the lobby of fuel. All this package is, I would say, stopping the, the, stopping the, the, the effort uh, we want to 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 make to be on the right trajectory. So yes, definitely, youth are more concerned because uh, they they have understood that we are destroying the planet, that the disasters in uh, that will be will be uh, uh, common in their in their life and not exceptional. Uh, weather uh, disasters, uh, they will observe more disasters, natural disasters, more uh, floods, more heat waves, etc., etc. They understood and they want us to act. Unfortunately, climate change is not the priority for many countries because of economic interests. Uh, you mentioned uh, before the, uh, the hope that the uh, and the cooperation with the Council of Europe in in, in attempting to amend the the uh, Declaration of Human Rights to to, to uh, include climate justice and the uh, European Union as a sort of a parallel organization to the uh, Council of Europe uh, is is uh, on one hand very active in in um, adapting to, to to climate change and promoting. Uh, changing the, the the economy and the environment, and there is even a political shift with the ascent of uh, green parties and recognize uh, other parties recognizing that climate change is is indeed real. But um, many people uh, would say that it's all too little, too late, and that much more needs to be done. Do you think that EU and other global institutions and players are doing enough I... to mitigate the consequences? Let me tell you that I, I was very happy to read the Green Deal from EU. And I thought to myself, maybe EU will play uh, a role of leadership and champion the climate uh, pledges and the climate indices uh, uh, during COP26. Uh, that's what, that didn't happen. Uh, it's pity for EU because EU could take this opportunity not only to promote the Green Deal, but to uh, push forward the uh, climate agenda and to play this role of champion in the agenda of climate. Unfortunately, now we have no country playing this, uh, this role of champion in the climate agenda. And you see what happened? China came. Uh, China, which is one of the biggest emitters in the world, and said, okay, uh, I'm here, I'm ready to play this role, and I will co-play this role with the United States to uh, champion the climate uh, climate uh, agenda and the mitigation programs, etc. This is very nice, but uh, uh, we should not forget that China is building 
one call industry each uh, four uh, days. Each four days, China is launching one call industry. So what, what are we talking about? So I, uh, I would have loved that the EU, which is doing a lot now for climate, it's not enough, I agree, but I think that uh, it's why we have these, um, these uh, uh, I will say, uh, horizon uh, of 2050. Uh, it's not enough, but EU is by far doing more than uh, uh, other regions in the world and other continents, but it doesn't play the role of champion. And I think that also uh, many countries are uh, uh, in the EU can give very good experiences and share their success stories with the other. And this is something they are not doing. And it's pity for the EU because uh, uh, I was waiting for the EU to play a role uh, to make the things happen during COP26. But the fact that the, the 100 billion, which is nothing, which is 0.1% of the world GDP, nothing, the 100 billion was not fulfilled and postponed until 2025, uh, that uh, nothing was brought concerning adaptation. So we, the, the developed world is saying to the developing world, we don't care. We did nothing. We continue to increase our CO2 emissions and we are not fulfilling our promises. And this is not good. I think that we need more credibility and we need to reestablish trust because if there is no trust, there will be no climate change uh, in, uh, agenda implementation, no implementation without trust. And the consequences will not be only on the developing world. All the countries will be uh, heated by, by the wave, you know. So I think that, yes, EU did a lot. EU can do more. And the EU has to champion the, the world concerning climate change. During four years or five, four years, we had Trump and the United States withdrew from the Paris Agreement. And we had had no champion. Nobody was talking about climate change. And we wait, we wait for, for five years after the Paris Agreement and we came back together and together we saw that we are continuing to increase the CO2 emissions. That's where we did nothing and that we didn't respect our uh, promises to give to support the vulnerable countries that we didn't uh, uh, we didn't uh, invest on adaptation nothing was done and it's 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 not serious i would say it's not serious i generally told you i'm very positive and i have always said to everybody that this is not a story of one day that we have to move to move slowly because when you want to change an industry, you have all the social aspects to deal with. You have to create uh, jobs. You have uh, uh, to think uh, to uh, to think how uh, to build and to replace the the, the old one. Uh, if you have to make energy efficiency, it will cost you a lot, etc. I know I'm engineer, and I know that it's a very heavy program, but. I know also that when we want to act, 
we show that we are on the right trajectory. And unfortunately, the IPCC report showed that we are not at all on the right trajectory and we will end up with a three degree C and that will be catastrophic, not only for the developing world, but also for the de developed world. Uh, Dr. Hakima El-Haite, to conclude our conversation, uh, I would say uh, you are rather optimistic. Anyhow, when uh, looking ahead to the future? I hope that uh, Shavam Sheikh COP27 will bring more, more hope to, uh, to people and to the world. And I'm uh, always saying, just look at what is happening now with COVID. This is exactly what will happen with climate change. And uh, I, I want to maintain hope and I want to maintain trust because this is important. I am very sorry for my UK friends because they did an amazing job to make this COP successful. Unfortunately, the interests are not the same. And I'm calling on the leaders of this world uh, to be more gracious because when you are talking about $100 billion, you are talking about nothing. We need two, three trillion dollars for mitigation uh, worldwide. And uh, we need more than $500 billion for adaptation. So it's nothing. And we need trust. And I hope that they will come back in COP27 with good news for the people who are suffering already. And within Liberal International, we are doing our best to make climate, uh, uh, climate uh, change in the, the center of human rights, uh, human rights declaration. That's all the time we have for today, uh, Natasha. The challenges are uh, well spelled out. Uh, I'm guessing it's time that uh, we move from words to action. Uh, Dr. Absolutely. Dr. Hakima el thank you so much for uh, taking the time and talking to us and all the best in the future. Thank you thank so much. Thank you, Natasha. Thank you, Aisla. Thank you very thank much. You. And greetings to Morocco. Thank you. Bye.